the RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com. And you're welcome to the RTE Rugby Podcast ahead of Ireland against New Zealand this weekend. Very much looking forward to it, particularly on the back of the performance against Japan last week and the Irish team has been named within the past hour or so. Delighted to have Donald Lennon and Bernard Jackman uh, with us on the podcast this week. Gents, you're welcome as always. Donald, I guess the main takeaway, just from the starting team. Before we get into that, do you like my moustache here? I mean, for people who can see this on the YouTube, I'm doing November. I'm trying to do a Donald Lennon on it, but it's not geez. exactly the Mannix level just yet. When puberty gets in, it's going to take off, I think. Jeez, I, I thought there was a bit of dirt on my screen here. <laughs> Otherwise, I give it a wipe. Still there. Anyway, it's all ahead of this week. I, I hope they don't mix us up in the commentary. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I'd pay to see that. I don't think there's any danger whatsoever. When I hit puberty, this thing might actually take off. Right, um, look, the one change, um, I know you're an Ian Henderson fan, Donald Lennon, so um, I guess you won't be surprised to see him in. Is it a fair call, do you think? Is it a little bit harsh on Tigburn? How do you see Henderson's inclusion? Uh, well, it's a bit tig- or it's a bit uh, harsh on Tigburn, but overall, look, I think uh, the easy option was to put Tigburn at six, play Henderson in the second row, but I'm actually delighted that someone like Caelan Doris uh, gets an opportunity to play against the All Blacks. Uh, for me, Tigburn, he is absolutely cemented in Ireland's match day 23, so I think... Uh, we've been critical in the past when we don't give the younger players their opportunities against the top countries in the world. So, you know, from that point of view, I'm uh, I'm thrilled that Doris starts. Uh, I do feel sorry for Tyburn, but look, you hear it all the time. It's a 23-man game. You look at the bench that New Zealand have. Uh, phenomenal bench there as well. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't be overly critical. I think uh, it was necessary to bring Henderson in. Uh, he's just that uh, you look at the uh, the, the New Zealand second row, Retallick and Whitelock, over 200 caps between them. Huge experience. Henderson was involved uh, in the games against New Zealand in the past. So, um, yeah, look, I, I wouldn't be overly critical of that uh, selection. And you know what, Birch, that, that's the way to look at it. I think that's the way Ty Byrne has to look at it as well. You know, years ago, if you, if you were dropped from the starting 15, it would be a big disappointment. But the game has evolved somewhat now where the bench is as crucial to your hopes of winning a test match as the starting 15 and they have a, a job in and of themselves to do and that's the way Tyburn has to look at this right yeah I'm sure he will and, and he could be on very early you don't know if he's the first back row sub on or or he'll definitely come on in, in, in the second row if not and I would say you know potentially James Ryan might miss out might go on the bench next week and they start Tyburn and Henderson so they probably share the minutes overall for the three games but we've got you know, in those three, we've got three top operators. And uh, Ty Byrne will have an... If the game is in the balance, you know, in the last 20 minutes, he could have some big moments. Um, we haven't spoken since last week, and I don't want to go too much back on the Japan game, Donald, but just... Well, we mentioned James Ryan there in second row, so we stick with the team for a second. He looks to me, James Ryan, that he has put on a, a lot of bulk and muscle um, in the in the off-season. I, I know he probably was very disappointed to miss out on a Lions call-up, but perhaps his form particularly in the latter stages of last season, didn't quite merit the Lions' place. He does look like he's gone away, had a decent preseason, and he was, uh, he was a force to be reckoned with last weekend against Japan. Yeah, he was. Look, I'm sure it was a massive personal disappointment for him uh, when he missed out on the Lions. You had scenarios like uh, Alan Wynne-Jones getting injured in that first game. He wasn't called up there. Alan Baird uh, went out instead of him. So... Uh, I have no doubt whatsoever for a young player, he's still, what is he, 24, 25 years of age. Being left out in those circumstances was a massive um, letdown for him. And his reaction has been to go away 
get that little bit stronger. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think his form has been really good. Um, you know, the quality and, and you know, we saw elements of his game last week that we haven't always associated with him. Certainly skill levels look to be really good. But I think we're, you know, we're fortunate. We've three quality operators there at the moment. Um, uh, any one of them can step in or out of the side. So, um, look, yeah, I, I, I'm with you in terms of, of Ryan. Uh, look, I think he did have a, a fallback in his form last week, I think, or last year. Uh, didn't play well in that game against La Rochelle and it ultimately cost him that Lions tour, I think. Yeah. But he had been out injured for a, a fair degree of time before that match. That's true. And I, I remember, Birch, you know, when we talked about James Ryan when he burst onto the scene, he was the Brian Fenton of the Irish rugby team and that he'd never lost a game for so long. He was part of this winning mentality and he just seemed to do no wrong. And I was thinking about this over the summer, like, you know, maybe that kind of a little chink in the armour for him, a little kind of a step setback actually could do him the world of good if he handled it the right way. And he seems to have done so far. Yeah, look, I definitely think he handled it the right way. I think more importantly, the type of game plan we saw last weekend suits him, suits him a little bit better. There was less, like, he'll always offer himself as a carrier. He'll always hit a lot of rooks. He'll always make a lot of tackles. But unfortunately, he probably does, he doesn't have the Will Skelton or the Backy's Boda type physique, you know, to, to make, you know, bad ball, good ball. And that's no respect to him. Very, very few people can do that. But what we saw at the weekend was, you know, movement of the ball and attacking um, Japan defence with, with some smart running lines um, and some speed. And he looked better in that because he, 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 he has got good footwork and he has got good skills. But it was probably his own honesty and probably a clamped game plan that took away and made him look less powerful than he actually is or less dynamic. So I think it's, it's all coming together nicely in terms of looks like how we're trying to play would definitely suit someone like James Ryan. So the style of play... Yeah, and I'm sorry, Hugh, but just on that point from Birch there, I mean, you look at uh, like that, that New Zealand second row combination that I've been talking about, Retallick and Whitelock. I mean, they don't have the bulk of your Will Skelton's or your Etzebeth, these guys, hmm. but they play in a specific way. I mean, New Zealand a few years ago actually got their players to slim down a bit because they wanted more uh, ball and play time. They wanted to um, increase the skill levels there. So... Uh, you know, I mean, it's 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 it, there's several different ways to play. Certainly, I think uh, while Ryan has bulked up a little bit, uh, he is he has the capacity to play in the manner that a white lock plays, for example. And the template Donald that was used against Japan does seem to get the best out of the skill set that we have. I know this has been a bugbear for a lot of people for a long time that we aren't seeing the skills that we know these players have being implemented on the pitch. And I know I've, I've said it a few times in the podcast, it's very frustrating for me. But, you know, I have to give credit to, to Mike Cat and Andy Farrell. You know, if they have been developing this style of play behind closed doors and they're able to be implemented against New Zealand, they're not going to have it as easy. But certainly if they can continue the theme that they started last weekend, I think it's massively positive. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. I think, uh, to be fair, I, uh, you know, I, like the likes of Ty Byrne, Ian Henderson, they both played an awful lot of rugby in the back row. So therefore they... They have the, the handling skills and the understanding of the game and broken play. Um, they've always had that skill set. Uh, the likes of Andrew Porter, one of the younger guys coming through, Ty Byrne, for example, I think that has always been part and parcel of their game. But if you were programmed for a number of years, if you're first arrival, that you have to do something very specific at the rock. No, it means that they can you know, take a, a, a different approach. Um, I think the key element and why we have to change the way that we play um, is so that we don't have as many collisions as we had in the past. We've seen there is so much 
evidence of the way Ireland play over the years. We can go out, we can go out next Saturday and have a massive, massive physical outing against New Zealand. But you know you're going to struggle to repeat that high-level intensity against Argentina, that pure physicality within another seven days. And I think that has been our downfall when we've gone into tournament rugby, when we've had to play four or five games over a very short period of time. So I think two years out from the World Cup, or uh, maybe maybe Andy Farrell made this decision a year ago, that uh, there is been a conscious element to change the way that we play. Um, you know, there was uh, we saw bits of it at the end of the Six Nations. Uh, the games during the summer really weren't a real test. Uh, but I think, you know, it is development in the right way with tournament rugby in mind. And I think that's the key element here. It'll be fascinating to see, Birch, how Ireland get on if they do try and employ the same kind of blueprint that we saw against Japan. Everybody accepts they're not going to have it as easy. The line speed is going to be faster. The defence is going to be more aggressive. New Zealand will have more possession. But it'll be fascinating to see if they employ that same blueprint, how it results against New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think if, if we do it as accurately as we did Last week we will get we'll definitely get gain lines. We, we'll get some line breaks. We just got to make sure we capitalize on that because New Zealand scramble incredibly well. Um, but like structurally it was there, and and as Dolan said, we now have the the players to do it. So I think in fairness, it has taken Farrell a while to and Mike Cat to to get the players to understand what he wants to do. But also, I mean, it helps when you've Andrew Porter, Ronan Keller, Kalen Doris, you know, Ty Byrne uh, in your pack and and. Um, Jack Conan is, is a man, um, is, is, is a newborn, you know, reborn player in terms of his ability. So, whereas I think last year, if you look at some of the personnel, they weren't as suited to that that type of game as well. So, it's kind of come all together. We've got personnel who are better suited to that in terms of their uh, athleticism, in terms of their mobility, in terms of their skill set. And it looks like the players have really kind of understood what. Um, what what Farrell and my cat want. So I think we can ask questions. New Zealand, they've changed the defence this November. It's a more aggressive defence than they use in the Rugby Championship. It's probably not 100% bedded in yet. Um, the challenge is be, When you say aggressive, is it a more blitz style? Yeah, it's a blitz. It's okay. a blitz on the outside, um, which they were never that kind of team, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it will take a little while for that to settle in. They haven't been tested yet. I mean, Wales, unfortunately, due to injury and the match being outside the test window, didn't have a strong team. The America game was a joke. And Italy, in fairness, you know, uh, uh, made, them, made them work for it. It was a poorish performance from the All Blacks. Uh, it was a second string All Blacks team, but... They didn't really get asked questions defensively, so there is a real opportunity to to find cracks in that in that system. But the problem is going to be stopping them. You know, um, like their attack is is very impressive. So, and our defense looked good against Japan, um, but that's the question mark. Can we defend well for for eighty minutes? And and generally, you know, they do the damage late in the game when when teams run out of juice because they make you work so hard for first sixty. James Lowe looked like a superstar again um, last weekend. Only played very, very well. And he, he, he popped up for ball almost everywhere. Physical, you know, he was really, really good throughout 80 minutes. Andy Farrell said he's worked very hard on his fitness. He's lost weight. He's slimmed down. He understands now a little bit more about what it means to prepare to play international test rugby. And again, I'm fascinated to see how he copes defensively with New Zealand this weekend because that was the weak link during the Six Nations. His decision-making, his reads at times... This is going to be the ultimate test for him to see actually how equipped he is to deal with an international level attack. Yeah, and I think that's why it's worth starting him in this game. I mean, the easy option would have been to to select Keith Earls, but 
There's no doubt. I mean, I thought Lowe was outstanding last week. Uh, it looked as if he was given this license to play in behind the uh, the first line of attack. He roamed off his off his wing. We always knew that he had the skill set. A typical New Zealand player. I mean, they they from a very early age, everything goes into their skill levels. You know, where in the tr- traditional GA. Uh, schools around Ireland, you see guys going in with a hurley and every lunchtime break, it's tapping it off the wall or little games. The exact same in New Zealand, except it's a rugby ball mm-hmm. and everything revolves around their skills. Um, and law has that skill set, but there's no no question whatsoever. Defensively, maybe when you play for the Chiefs in New Zealand and you play for the Maoris, you don't have to defend too often. But uh you know, I mean, or he, Leinster. He, he, exactly. Well, Leinster are so dominant in the yeah. vast majority of their games. But I mean, it has been an element that was questioned even before he was selected at international level. I think he was taken aback by the quality of some of the teams, the pace of international rugby and the disconnect that he had. He had like at, at times he was in the right position, but making the wrong decisions. And I think that has been a work in progress. Uh, there was obviously a reaction. I think was it Chris Ashton on a BBC podcast last year said that he was way overweight after that game against England. Uh, and there's no doubt. I'd say for the first time in his life, James Lowe was subjected to public criticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I admire a guy who's gone away behind the scenes. He's worked in his deficiencies. But I mean, when you're up against the likes of Seville, Seville Reese and, and Will Jordan, you're going to find out very fast if there has been. <laughs> Uh, improvements in his defensive, you know, in his one-on-one and his decision-making. And that is the key element for me. So for that reason alone, I think it's worth starting him against New Zealand. As is the continuation of Andrew Conway as well, who had a stormer, the hat-trick aside. I just thought he was brilliant under the high ball burst last weekend. I'm delighted to see him play so well. I've kind of long thought, geez, I wish this guy, you could see the full fruits of what he's capable of. And we saw it last weekend. Interesting to see how he goes against a very quick back three this weekend. Yeah, and we played to his strengths. I mean, he's obviously a great finisher, but a key part of what you get with, with Andrew Conway is his ability to, to contest the aerial ball. And it was interesting. We didn't have a lot of box kicking. We didn't have a lot of contestables, but I think nine, all bar one were down his side and he, he won most of them back where he made the rest of them messy ball. And, and that's pleasing to see. And obviously we use James Lowe around his strengths, around carrying the ball up the middle, um, around being an option as a left-footed kicker. So, that, that's a real positive. And I think both of them are going to go into this game high on confidence. So just on James Lowe, I think the question mark is about James Lowe and he's a phenomenally gifted player and he can have big impacts. It's potentially just out-and-out speed. Okay, And I would agree. I mean, he's up against Will Jordan and, and he may come up against Sarah Reese uh, if he floats off his wing. And I think that leads to some of his decision-making being a little bit poor is that he kind of has to make good decisions all the time. And normally it's not to give him the outside because he's afraid of getting taken on. So um, it's going to be interesting to see, has he improved that decision-making? You know, can he survive at this level defensively? Because attack-wise, he changes the way Ireland play. Plus, obviously, as a left footer, I mean, unless we're going to go with Zeebo, um, it, it actually makes us much... If we have a left footer in a team, it completely changes the, the backfield and, and it and improves our kicking options. So he's a fascinating uh, case study. And, and as, yeah. as I said, we'll know a lot more about him on, on Saturday evening. That's interesting, though. I mean, if he's, if he's aware of that deficiency that he might have against a, a test level winger like a Reese, you know, or 
like a, a, a Johnny May or someone who just yeah. went out and outpaced, and he's very well aware of that, I and mean, maybe he's overly conscious of it. That would explain sometimes the bad reads and decisions that he makes in trying to compensate for that. Yeah, so Hugh, it looks like he's not trying to, like, looks like he's jumping out of the line, but yeah. look at he, James Nolan knows what he's good at, and he knows what he doesn't have as well, I mean, because it's a pretty... Um, it's a pretty isolated position to be out there on a on a left or right wing and being skint on the outside. I mean, you know, most lot every wingers had it done to them once or twice, but a lot of them have to pace sometimes to use the touchline, um, and it doesn't become a, a recurring team. So yeah, when I think of the defensive errors he's made, definitely I, I do feel that some of them are around his understanding of he has to shut it down um, and he has to get get to them before they can get around him. Now, in fairness against teams like Japan. So remember Gary Ringrose made a couple of really good reads and came in and stopped the ball mm. against the all blacks. You know, that can be quite risky because they have the skill set to let you come at them and still get the ball away. Mm. And likewise for James Lowe, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've got to be aggressive all the time and jump out of the line. It's that decision-making of when you can get there and stop it. And when you have to wait for help and, and you know, you're not going to get a better test than, than the all blacks in, in Dublin. Yeah, and, and Donald, you know, just to kind of evolve that a little bit, I guess, it, it explains maybe why he has trimmed down a bit and maybe with that comes um, a bit of extra pace that will, will help him in defensive situations like that. But as Bernard says, you know, New Zealand can exploit anybody who's vulnerable enough to make the wrong decision at the wrong time in trying to compensate for maybe a lack of speed. New Zealand, above all teams, will exploit that. Yeah, they will. But look, uh, I think those attributes, uh, they're not confined to international rugby. You play at the top level of European rugby in the Heineken Cup. Um, you know, not, not, not every winger is 10.4 for the 100 metres. Do you know what I mean? I mean, there's, there's a skill set required to play on the wing. No, you have to be able to contest the ball in the air. You've got to be able to kick. You've got to be able to cover the backfield. So not everyone has out-and-out pace. We've seen, for example, Jacob Stockdale up against the likes of a Sheslin Colby. Mm. Uh, if you don't get your defensive read right there, then you're going to be exposed. That is Manitou, a fact of life. Manitou Lange was picked on the wing by uh, well, Eddie Jones today. He's playing right wing. If 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 Lowe keeps his position, he'd be playing left wing. So you can imagine the, the shocks <laughs> we're going to have. Aren't they? <laughs> wow, it would be brilliant. I, I, I doubt if Tuilagi will be on the wing by the time we play them in the uh, Six Nations. <laughs> so I agree, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Okay, look, in terms of the uh, fly half position for New Zealand, uh, Birch, you know, they've, they've gone for Barrett at 10. It could have just as easily as been Richie Moonga. Um, some of you feeling fans feel that Moonga is, is more a player in form at the moment. That Barrett is, is a little bit trading on, on past glories. Um, what's your view of, of, of their fly half selection? Does it matter, really? Uh, it does matter, yeah, for sure. I think they're stronger with Moonga at yeah. 10 and, and Bowden Barrett at fullback. Now, that doesn't mean um, I don't have you know, incredible respect for Bowden Barrett and, and, and Jordy Barrett, his brother, who's playing fullback. But I do think it's an advantage to us, mainly around goal kicking. Okay. Um, and so if this test gets tight, Bowden Barrett can kick kick well, but Moonga is a, is a better goal kicker statistically. So I do have to say that's an advantage to us. Obviously, Moonga's on the bench, um, but I, I do think it's it, it's a slight advantage. They've gone very strong. But uh, I think that's a slight um, advantage to us in terms of them starting Wong on the bench. Yeah, and they've Ruiko Ioanni, who is a winger by trade, playing in the centre as well, uh, Donald. So, look, plenty of place there, along with Leonard Brown. We mentioned Severis as well. Uh, Jordy Barrett isn't the quickest, but he's a very good um, technical fullback, if you like. So, look, I mean, for Ireland defensively as well, their, their performance is going to tell an awful lot. Much of the talk about offloading last weekend was brilliant and was fantastic to watch 
But I, uh, is it fair to say that the winning of this game will be what Ireland do in defence and stopping New Zealand doing what they do best? Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, the bottom line is um, you can offload once you get your hands through the tackle. The bottom line, like Japan stood off Ireland a lot. They offered them space on the outside. So it was easy. I won't say easy, but there was a template that they put in front of Johnny Sexton that made it easier for him to decide what areas of the field Ireland could attack. New Zealand won't. They won't offer you that space in the first place. The second place is the, they look to double hit in the tackle. They know now that Ireland are trying to develop an offloading game. So what are they going to do? I would say early on in the first 20 minutes, they're going to say, OK, Ireland think they're developing this game. So we're going to set out early to put in as many double hits, smother the ball, smother the hand, don't allow the offloads. And that will, you know, looking to frustrate Ireland, not to get them, not to allow them get into the flow that they were able to develop against uh, Japan. And look, I mean, Andy Farrell knows exactly what's going to, to come. It doesn't matter uh, when New Zealand, they have the handling skills, they have the offload ability, they have uh, the pace out wide. But the fundamentals for them is physicality in the contact, um, dominant on the breakdown so that you don't get the quick ball that enables you to have those mismatches in defence are you know, there is a, a, an extra second to be able to exploit a bit of space. That They're going to start at the basics. They're going to attack you in the set piece. But more than anything, they're going to look to, to slow down your ball at the breakdown. So uh, it's, it's a totally different level. But I'm fascinated to see how Ireland deal with that. And uh, will they be able to, to, to sort of develop from where they were left off last week? Yeah, it's, it's set up beautifully for a brilliant uh, test Saturday afternoon. On Friday night, the Ireland women's team take on um, USA. Uh, Bernard, it's live on RT television as well from the RDS. It's been a, a horrible week for the players on the back of Anthony Eddy's interview on Monday where he went into some of the reasons behind the World Cup uh, failure qualification. Uh, he seemed to lay none of the blame really at the preparation behind the scenes um, through most of it, the feet of the players. The players have subsequently come out Cleaner Maloney, um, you know, uh, several former players have come out and said they were just disgusted. Jenny Murphy was quite strong about what he said. And I guess, you know, the players have all kind of rallied around in terms of supporting Cleaner Maloney and what, what she meant. It all makes for a very uncomfortable week here. And it's just not a situation that you ever want to see in a national team develop like this. Yeah, and I, I feel I feel really sorry for, for the players. If it was my own daughter or sister um, or my own uh, son or brother, you know, I, I'd be, I'd be asked, I'd be going in to see were they okay and, uh, and, and take them out. I mean, not in terms of, of, of what was said, it's in terms of having to go out publicly and, and either support a teammate or, yeah. or support the IRFU. I mean, that's the, that's the issue. It's just, uh, and like, let's be honest, professionals um, are professionals. A lot of these players are the sevens girls or women are, are professional. A lot of the 15s, none of the 15s are. So, mm. like, they're not, you know, they're not, uh, I don't think they should be held to the same level of account as, as a, professional, a professional player. And when the criticism comes from within, um, and someone who's been there seven years and says it's not, it won't happen overnight, I just think didn't read the room very well, you know, didn't read the room very well, probably biased the review that's gone on. And, uh, you know, I think the RFU committee need to get a handle on this. They've given people jobs to run the game for them. And at the moment, you'd have to question the job they're doing. Certainly, if you're a young young girl and you want to play rugby, you're thinking about playing rugby or camogie or, or basketball or soccer or swimming or whatever, 
this week, where would you be going? Yeah, you certainly wouldn't be going to a rugby pitch. Yeah. and you know when the RFU talk about inclusivity, etc., they're miles off. They're miles off. And I actually believe the only thing they care about is, is PR. Certainly, the only react, the only fast reaction I have got from the RFU in the last year or two has been about PR. Yeah. Have I have I said something that? Yeah, maybe... well, it does seem on a PR handling that was a disaster. I mean, I think they, I don't know whether they thought putting out Anthony Eddie in the week of the All Blacks coming to town would would somehow uh, diminish whatever it was he was going to say, or maybe hide it, hide it under the carpet somewhat. It has backfired spectacularly on them. Yeah, and look, this is... They, look, at the end of the day, as far as I know, the RFU committee or the guardians of the game in the country, they need to sort it out. You know, and if, if you're Aon or Vodafone, like, how do you feel about this? It's just from bad PR to bad PR, and it shouldn't yeah. be about PR. But unfortunately, the PR is the reaction and the, um, the level of performance, the level of frustration... Uh, what's being said and it's obviously not a happy place to be and you want sport to be about enjoyment you know uh, and get an enjoyment right the performances w- will come and the structures uh, will create that but at the moment it's just it's just getting worse and worse I don't know where it's going to end not a happy but you're, ta- you're, you're talking about accountability levels and of course the players are responsible for performance on the field along mm. with their management team but if you look at the wider grasp here um the level of accountability. Anthony Eddy is director of women's rugby, has been in place, I think, since December 2014. When he came into the role at that stage, Ireland had won a, a Grand Slam in 2013. They made the semi-final of the World Cup in 2014. And I think they won a Six Nations Championship in 2015. So none of that was under his watch. When you're reviewing what has happened since then, there's no question that we have regressed and we've regressed on a number of areas. I think one of the key elements here is uh, they won't come out publicly and say it, but they have um, they have highlighted the sevens game over the fifteens game. If you look certainly within the club sphere, it is felt within women's rugby in Ireland that the mechanism for development is through the club game because it is more inclusive. Mm. Uh, it's easier with a sevens program to take athletes from other sports to cherry pick from basketball or from uh, women's Gaelic football. Gaelic football or athletics as they've done in the sevens program but you're not actually developing those players you've got to have a a, a more long-term strategy there is no um, as far as I can see there's no evidence of that with regard to where the 15 uh, the women's 15s game is going and if you look if Ireland's performances on the men's side of the house was continuing to um get worse and worse over a period of seven years. I have no question whoever was in charge of director of rugby would be gone. Mm. No, no, no case about it. But for whatever reason, they seem to be able to offer in isolation. Uh, Anthony Eddy, his, his head pops up every now and then, um, but there doesn't seem to be any level of accountability there. And it, it must be incredibly frustrating for the women involved in the sport. And I have to say, I take my, my hat off to uh, Cleena Maloney. It can't have been easy to come out when you're in the squad building up to an international to put your head over the parapet and, and make the comment that she did. Uh, I admire her, I have to say. Uh, mm. But it can't, be, it can't be easy in that squad at the moment. You also then, what is the point? I, I read this excuse. Adam Grigg was left go after the, the end of the, the World Cup He's campaign. still in charge, though. He's still in charge for these two matches. Yeah. That makes absolutely no sense. Even if... Um, uh, the, the new coach, Mac Williams, Greg yeah, Mac Williams, Williams, right? Yeah. 
like, even if he wasn't available for contractual issue for those two games, surely it would have been easier to put somebody else in temporary charge for those two games. But there must be a hangover for the players dealing with a coach that you know isn't going to be there. And um, it, it just makes no sense whatsoever to me. Again, I think it's another bad decision. Yeah, and I can't imagine that Adam Griggs, you know, is too happy about the way the whole thing has been handled as well. It'll be very interesting if he's out, I guess, before the match tomorrow or even, you know, his full-time comments, whether he decides to address any of the issues that have gone on. But I, I think they've put him in a very invidious position. I mean, he's going to be interest, or interviewed, as you say, before the match. He's going to be interviewed after the What's he going to say? Well, look, yeah. really, I don't... You know, I don't care because I won't be here in two weeks' time. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, it just the, makes no sense. The whole thing is a mess, and it's uh, as I say. Look, it's 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 compounding the disappointment of not qualifying for World Cup. I'm sure the players feel bad enough. But it is. It's their first November Test series as well, Birch against USA, a chance. But it's just been this cloud over it all week, and it's taken away from the players once again off the field issues when it should be talking about. You know, I guess development, bringing new players in, having a look at new players this weekend. That's all been lost because of. Yeah, I agree with Donald. Like, I think the fact they let Griggs stay on shows that they don't really care um, about it, and all these hashtags, nothing like it, etc. Just, just sorted, sorted out, sorted, yeah. just sorted out. Once meaningless, for all. meaningless. Yeah. yeah, right, gents. Um, pleasure as always. We're very much looking forward to the two games this weekend, both live Ireland against USA from the RDS on Friday night, and then uh, on Saturday afternoon it's Ireland against New Zealand as well. Donald Lennon, Bernard Jackman, enjoy the weekend. We'll talk next week. Thanks, folks. Yeah, I look Thank forward you. to see that uh, moustache in the flesh on Saturday. <laughs> Can't wait. Be careful what you wish for. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, bye, bye. The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com.